Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with the tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Hello, everybody. It's great to have you here today. Welcome to First Christian Church. If you're perhaps new with us, and those of you who are worshiping with us on a regular basis, we're very glad to have you here. Uh, let me introduce myself. My name is Wayne. I'm one of the pastors, and um, it's just thrilling that you're with us. To everybody in the East Auditorium as well, we're glad you're with us, and as well in Lovington, and all the people online, worshiping online, and uh, these days we have lots of people doing that, so uh, welcome. Let's, let's, um, we're going to look at Scripture today, but before we do that, can... It's not on, we're, we're going off script, guys. Good luck <laughs> to the tech crew. Um, who are we kidding? Our world is in a little bit of chaos right now would be a good way to put it, right? Um, there's all kinds of fear. I'm gonna remind you that the people who follow Christ are not, we don't have a spirit of fear. The Bible says don't have a spirit of fear, but have a, have a spirit of a sound mind and a, a, an ability to reason things out. So in the midst of all the chaos that's going on around the world with the virus and economic stuff and the markets, let's be people who, who live in, in, the, in the power of uh, God working within us. So to that end, would you join me in prayer today, all right? Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus Christ. And um, in his name... We would say um, we are aware that there's all kinds of stuff, all kinds of wild stuff taking place in our world. And maybe it's not that it's new, it's just that now we know about it. And particularly when it comes to this virus and you know, now it's reached our shores and we've, we've had some, a person die and we have, well, Lord, the markets have responded and everyone's, we've watched our, our you know, plans for the future, the finances, we go, oh, what's going on? Lord, we are people who rely on the work of Jesus Christ within us and working through us. And so we're, we're not gonna take on a spirit of fear, but instead we're gonna be people of power and love and a sound mind as your word calls us to be. And then Lord, in the midst of our world where there is all kinds of chaos and people are, whose lives are, I mean, it's one thing to say you've got 14 days of quarantine, but then to lose somebody and somebody, I mean, lives are being disrupted and families are facing crises that are far beyond what we have here in, in central Illinois and the places where this, you know, where this is broadcast. Lord, I, we ask, oh God, that you would provide a way of escape for our world that recognizes Jesus Christ and his work within us. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. All right, take your Bibles, please, friends, and turn to Mark chapter 1, what we're going to read today. And if you're unfamiliar with the scripture, that's about, oh, seven-eighths of the way through the Bible, perhaps. And um, it's one of the Gospels, one of the biographies of Jesus that tells the story of Jesus. There's four of them within the Bible, and 
Uh, one of them is Mark. We're going to do a little work on this next week in terms of how we ended up with Mark as a book. But for today, let's just jump right in by saying that I would suspect that most of us here today, most of us would say we are followers of Jesus Christ and we are interested in um, knowing what he would say about our lives and to our lives. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, then certainly we'd like to think that by the end of our time together, you might consider becoming a follower of Jesus. But for those of us both inside the faith and outside the faith, we know that Jesus said a lot of things about living and how to live, how to interact with one another, how to relate to God. And so some of the things he said are easy to understand, but difficult to do. For example, one thing he said was, you've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now we understand that, but of course doing it is far more difficult, particularly when our neighbors are just miserable people. I don't, I'm not speaking for myself. I have wonderful neighbors, but I hear where some of you, oh, that's gonna come off really bad because a lot of our neighbors attend the church. So we have... We have really, we live in a great neighborhood, but it's, and it's not just about neighbors. You get the point anyways. It's easy to understand, but far more difficult to do. Or Here's one that's both easy to understand and easy to do, where Jesus says, let the children come unto me. Don't hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. In other words, love on children, and that's pretty easy to understand, and it's pretty easy to do. Then there are more difficult sayings that require some deep teaching, not only to understand, but also to do. For example, when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, you think, oh, that sounds really yucky, egg yolk. I'm not interested in that. Some of you go, egg yolk, it's not about egg yolk, is it? But you have to understand, it's about a farming implement and all that. And so to, to understand that particular passage of scripture, you have to dig a little more deeply and to say, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He's not talking about breakfast over easy or anything like that. He's talking about how we would team up with him. And so that's probably another, a discussion for another matter. Or, or here's one. Now, when it comes to pride and talking too much, a peacock who sits on his tail is just another turkey and a closed mouth catches flies. You do remember that from the Bible, right? No, he didn't say that. I'm just testing you to see if you're with me this morning, all right? Scripture gives us lots of sayings of Jesus. Uh, some of you here today carrying your Bible, you might have a so-called red letter edition Bible where Jesus' words are printed in red so you can see, that's the kind of version that I'm reading from today, where um, the words of Jesus are printed in red. And we're going to take seven weeks now, between now and Easter, and work our way through some of the red letter sayings, things that Jesus said as they are found in Mark. And these are specific sayings that Jesus, or teachings that Jesus gave, things that he would say, this is how you should choose to live. This is how you would uh, interact with one another. This is how you should interact with God. This is how you should develop the inner person of who you are. It's part of our Lenten plan. Now, Lent, uh, typically in the church, capital C, is the seven weeks running up to Easter, and people use it as a period of reflection and thinking about all that Jesus did as we get ready to celebrate uh, res the resurrection. But before we get to the resurrection, we say, he died, and so how do we reflect on that and think about that? So throughout the next seven weeks, we're going to preach through Mark, two chapters at a time, and I'd invite you to do, a, it's a read-along series, where if you read two chapters ahead of each week, um, ahead of the sermon each week, you'll be right on track, and so um, 
there's all kinds of things that the church is making available to you. For example, we've got those of you in small groups. We've got small group curriculum coming your way. It, it, uh, it lands this afternoon in your mailboxes. It's, it's uh, written in-house here. There's um, audio devotions that you, as a matter of fact, could, I'm going to get you to do two things today. If you get your phone out, we're going to get you to use it twice, all right? So if you're not part of our um, texting service, you, I would suggest you get that. And here, take a shot of this screen and then get involved. Maybe do it right now. You could, uh, by all means, take a photo and say, okay, I'm going to be part of First Christian Church's texting service because this afternoon at 4 o'clock, there's going to be a devotion that comes out. That's, we did it in the studio. It's got some music. It's got some things of reflection. It's got some scripture reading. So you can text the word First Christian to 24587, and you'll get that every Sunday afternoon now throughout Lent. And so my point is, there are ways that we're trying to provide you to grow in your spirituality throughout this season leading up to Lent that tie all back to what's being preached on the weekends. So let's stay for today then. What should we do? What about the red letters that we should examine today? How are we going to step into Jesus' life and experience who he was leading up to Jerusalem? So we're going to look in Mark chapter 1 today. Um, as Jesus goes, it's at the very beginning of his ministry. You could say he goes from a solo operation, a one-man ministry machine, to where he's got a group and a team around him. Read with me in Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. After John was put in prison... Jesus went into Galilee. So John is Jesus' uh, cousin. And that's, uh, we would know him as John the Baptist. So after John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And if you have a red letter edition, you'll see that it says in red, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. For they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little further, he goes down the beach a little bit. He saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing the notes. And without delay, he called them. And they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men. And they followed him. Now, there's some observations in this text that we've read that I think would help you. That first of all... There are probably some matters here that the, the, the author fails to mention. You have five men in a scene. You have, you have Jesus, and then you have um, James, and, um, James and John, and you have Simon and Andrew. Simon was later known as Peter. And then you've got also Zebedee, so you were at six, and then you're getting to the employees as well. And the two sets of brothers... Simon and Andrew, otherwise known as Peter and Andrew, James and John, they're fishermen. This is their vocation. And they, they apparently, when they see Jesus, they literally say, we're leaving our nets, we're leaving our boats, whatever we've been doing here with this fishing business, we're out of here. We're going to leave Zebedee in charge of the hired men and in charge of the employees. And you want to go, well, how did they do that? How did they just literally leave their boats right there? They, it would seem reasonable to me that, the, that Mark doesn't really give us all the details. Because surely they knew who Jesus was. Else, why would you just say, okay, I'm leaving my vocation and going to go follow this man. It would seem reasonable to me. They must have met Jesus some other, on some other occasion and sort of been, can I say it this way, prepared for what was coming. As a matter of fact, 
When you read John's gospel, when you read the biography of Jesus that John writes, John's record of Jesus' early days of ministry has one of the four, Andrew, meeting Jesus quite early, and then later on, willing to join Jesus. And what Andrew does, he goes to his brother Simon, he goes to his brother Peter, Simon and Peter, the same guy, and he says, hey, Peter, I think I've met the Messiah. I want you to meet him. And John tells us what that meeting is like, and then you get to Mark chapter one, and they're off they go. So what's interesting to me is that Andrew, he's not really mentioned very much in the Bible, but John tells us that he's the one who introduced his brother Simon, his brother Peter, to Jesus. And I love it. Here's why. You have this seemingly innocuous, insignificant introduction. Peter meeting Jesus. And yet that has a worldwide history-long impact. Because I would say this. If you are a follower of Jesus today, it's because Peter met Jesus and became the lead pastor of that first church in Jerusalem upon Jesus' resurrection. Maybe, maybe you can remember the story that we reviewed last week. The first, if you will, major evangelistic sermon of the ancient church was when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost with 3,000 converts after one very short sermon. And the church's global evangelism spread from that congregation, spread through the space of the Mediterranean and through history to the events of today in the 21st century. And you are sitting in church today or you're watching online today because you're, if you're a follower of Jesus or you're going to be a follower of Jesus, that's all because Peter said, we as a church in Jerusalem, we're going to reach the world. Jesus had told them to do that. And Peter's the one who steps into that. And it all starts when Andrew says to Peter, hey, I want you to meet this guy I met. He might be the Messiah. It makes me think about, you know how we prayed sort of off the cuff a few minutes ago about the coronavirus and the economy and everything? You know, if one small insignificant conversation can make a difference for the world, what might have happened as a result of our prayer a few minutes ago? Could we have turned the tide through the work of God Almighty? I believe that. So, to me, it seems very possible that they must have known how Jesus would launch his ministry with them in tow. And, but if, nonetheless, no matter how they got to follow Jesus, I think the scene begs some questions. Did they really just drop everything? What about their families? What did they do for income in the months that followed? And those are reasonable questions. And as we begin to answer them, I would caution us in this regard. We tend to view the first century, the ancient church, if you will, we view it through the lens of our 21st century. And particularly when it comes to work, we view their labor and their employment through our perspective of a post-industrial revolution viewpoint. You know, when we think about working, we think about, you know, years ago, time cards or these days, apps on our phones, and it tracks our working lives. And I would caution us that we cannot overlay our understanding of how we do work upon them. We're used to work, if you will, being an eight-hour shift or something like that, and we work eight-hour shifts for, if you will, five days a week, supposedly, and we do that for 48 or 50 weeks a year. Let's not transplant that post-industrial revolution understanding of a work ethic onto the lives of the people in the ancient world. However, while the culture of the Bible in terms of employment is not the same as our 21st century ethos, 
we do know this, that in order to survive in the first century, the people of that time had to be industrious. Yes, they had to have a work ethic of strength and character. And somehow or other, these four men said, we've got it covered and we're going to step into this long-term business, this long-term plan of following and walking with Jesus. And they followed him and essentially they moved. They changed where they worked every day to working with Jesus in place after place. They went from fishing for wiggly creatures coming out of the, out, out of the Sea of Galilee, you know, actually casting nets. They went from those wiggly, slimy fish, if you will, to fishing for people in need of spiritual direction, people in need of healing, people in need of the forgiveness that is found in Jesus Christ. In other words, the lives of the men of Mark 1 were changed. And because of their willingness to do that, experience change in their own lives, our lives here are changed as well. Our lives are changed for eternity as a result of their willingness to, with great courage, say, God will go where you want us to go, namely Jesus Christ. And I, we don't know. We don't know how their, li- how their families managed life as the men joined this itinerant band of traveling evangelists, if you will, these disciples called, called the followers of Jesus Christ. They followed him, but they were still fathers and husbands and, and uh, brothers and sons and fishermen, but they left. Now, that probably makes you ask then, well, if I'm going to follow Jesus, do I have to leave my house? Do I have to leave my home? Do I have to leave my vocation? You know, sometimes following Jesus does mean you get a new zip code. Absolutely. We have people from our congregation who followed the call of God, and the call of God is, you know, we've got a couple that moved from here to Kenya in missions work. We have a couple that moved from here to, to Central Asia in missions work. Um, you, 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 if you will, you can't follow God. If God's calling you to live in Kenya, you can't live in both Kenya and the U.S. at the same time very easily. If God's calling you to move to Arizona, you can't live in Arizona and Illinois at the same time. You've got to be willing to make the move. If God's calling you to work with our mission partners in Cuba, then you've, you've got, if you're going to be there and work full time, you've got to be in Cuba. You have to have a new zip code. But following Jesus doesn't always mean moving. But I'm convinced of this. Following Jesus does mean changing. Regardless of the physical location where you follow. Because if you choose to follow Jesus, friends, if you're not a follower of him today... The scriptures, you should know this, the scriptures absolutely mandate that you will change and live differently as compared to those who are not the followers of Jesus Christ. See, there's a biblical expectation of Jesus' followers. Christians, we are called to both go where Jesus went and to also live as Jesus lived. Where to go to the underprivileged, the lost, the confused, the needy, regardless of their economic status. So in other words, we're supposed to go to anyone who's confused, who's both rich and poor. We're supposed to go to those who are in need of Jesus Christ. That's our first responsibility as the people of God. We look for people. In Jesus' words, we go fishing for people. But we are also called to live as Jesus lived. Our lives are to reflect not only Jesus' actions, in other words, but, but also his attitudes. And so when, 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 when Peter and Andrew and James and John start following him, and if you know the trajectory of their story, their lives would change dramatically. 
It involves change walking with Jesus Christ. Change locations sometimes. Change your life approach always. For some here today, yes, it's true. Maybe in a small minority, God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, is calling you to change your zip code. Fair enough. But for most of us, I would suspect, the Holy Spirit is causing you and calling you to change your lifestyle. And I would ask you this. What details of the call to follow Jesus Christ are in store for you today? What aspects of following Jesus involve leaving your attitudes and your life approaches behind? In other words, if you're a person of anger, following Jesus says, leave the anger behind and follow him. If you've got bitterness kind of roiling down within you, leave that bitterness behind and follow Jesus. If you're a racist, Leave that behind and follow Jesus. If there's all kinds of sexual hang-ups, I, all right. But leave it behind and follow Jesus. If, you're, if there's unforgiveness, it's just messing with you. Leave it behind and follow Jesus. Whatever the mistakes are of the past, leave them behind and follow Jesus. Because, friends, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your marriage should look different as compared to those who aren't walking with Christ. And if you've been married and you, you, yes, as a couple or even as an individual, you come to Christ, your marriage moving forward from there is going to be different. Your words, the way in which you speak to people, it's going to be different if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Your relationships, how you manage your vocation, how you manage your pocketbook, all of it. The followers of Jesus Christ say we are different because God has changed us. But there's the rub, Right? Okay, if God, you're going to change me, how should I change? Well, friends, lean into the following part. Lean into acting like Jesus. Scripture puts it this way. Don't conform any longer. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, make a decision to change. Choose a different lifestyle. Because here's a question for you. If you don't or won't change, how is following Jesus really being demonstrated in you? See, I'm, I'm, I'll tell you, I'm a fellow who has decided to walk with Jesus Christ. And that means I have to be up for change at all times. As a matter of fact, it probably needs to be my middle name, Wayne Change Kent. I mean, I've got to be up for God working within me and shaping me and, and causing me to be different today than I was yesterday and different tomorrow than I am today. So here's how I strive to follow. I take, if you will, a ministry of the Spirit lens for all life settings. Because I'm aware of this. That if anyone sees me, they usually develop a view of Jesus and his church. In other words, how people view this congregation is based, whether or not I like it, I may not like it, but it's still the truth. How people view this congregation is based on how well I follow Jesus' life examples. Am I compassionate? Am I kind? Do I, do I honor the image of God that's seen in all people? I'm also aware that not only is the image of this church formed by how I live, I'm also aware that anyone who sees me also judges the validity of Jesus' life and ministry based on how I live. His credibility is judged by how I manage my life. I like you in that regard, then I must say, I have to say I live in a fishbowl. Now, I don't think that's negative all the time. Here's my understanding. I live in a fishbowl, not because I have the 
title clergy attached to my name and vocation. No, you and I live in a fishbowl, and it's really a good place to be because, first of all, it makes us think about how are we living, and then it lets us use our lifestyle as a witness for Jesus Christ. We have the community watching us because we have Jesus' name attached to our behavior. You know, my mother-in-law had an interesting way of pointing this out to Leslie and her brother when they were kids. Every time they would leave the house, she'd make a little statement that used to get under this. Was it fair enough to say, Leslie, it would get under your skin? It did, very much under your skin, yeah. She'd say this, remember who you are, right? As you leave this building today, as you leave Lovington's church, as you leave your house and go to work, or maybe out in the neighborhood this afternoon, how are you acting? Not just for your sake, but for the sake of the witness of Jesus Christ within you. We've chatted about this in recent weeks, about the gifts of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us, showing other people that we are a follower of Christ. And I want to go, how's that going for you? How are you doing with that? Last week, we offered you a way to figure out how to live as Jesus' witness in the fishbowl. And uh, we gave you all kinds of things. And I just want, this is a moment when you get your phone out again, okay? Because here's what I'm aware of. You go, I don't know how to follow Jesus. I don't know. I don't know what. Uh-huh. I'm up for it, but I don't know what to do. Well, we've got some resources for you, all right? First of all, this is available. You guys throw up that slide, if you will, please. This is available in the bookstore, all right? And uh, get your phone out. Because some of you didn't do this last week because we've been tracking you. No, we haven't been tracking you. Well, maybe we have. You never know, right? Oh, now you're wondering. I want you to take a photo of this, okay? Because this week I want you to go out and either buy this book. Oh, come on. Get your phone out for crying out loud. Come on, you guys. Get your phone out and take a copy of that, firstdecatur.org slash shape. Because we'd like you to do an assessment. There's a tool there that will let you figure out how is God going to work through me this week. Do it on your, get, go home and do that on your computer. And you'll just, or buy this book. It's in, it's in the cafe, all right? Because remember, friends, in recent weeks, we've been saying the way in which God has placed his Holy Spirit within us is the way in which, and it's unique for every individual, that's the way we are to be used. And it's all to point to Jesus. And my willingness to follow him should point to Jesus. Because I'm aware of this. These four men in Mark 1, and if you read into Mark 2 as well, you get to a guy by the name of Levi. Their life goals were changed. From the moment they left the beach to follow Jesus, it was always about him. So I can put it this way, that following is not about you. That's part of it. Your eternal destiny is covered by following the one whose blood covers your sin. And I mean, the forgiveness that's available in the blood of Jesus Christ, it's all great stuff. Your eternity is put in place by that. But it's not just about you. It's about Jesus being seen in you. Because here's what I know. Jesus Christ is calling you. Follow me. Straight up. And if you don't follow already, he's calling you to follow today. For some, it might mean a new zip code. You might say, hey, I'm, Pastor, I'm really interested. What would it look like if I was to be a missionary overseas? Or in another, God's calling me to another place. It might mean a new zip code. But for all of us, to follow is a call to change. Perhaps a change from non-believer to believer. Perhaps from passive pew sitter, well, passive pew sitter, sitter, a pew potato, as in like a couch potato, okay? So p- perhaps from passively sitting in the pew 
to active service and perhaps from active service to mature Christianity with a lifestyle that unashamedly mirrors Jesus Christ. You know, you know when I was a kid, um, I recall that in moments like this when churches would have topics and sermons like this, when, when people were considering the call of God on their lives, uh, that we'd sing a hymn, it would go, Softly and tenderly Jesus is calling. Do you know this one? Calling for you and for me. And then this chorus goes, Come home, come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Oh, it's lovely. It used to be so, and I want to go, as an adult, I think about that. That's a terrible hymn. (laughs) Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling like some meek sort of, no, no, not at all. That's a lovely hymn, I guess. Sweet nostalgia, but you know what, friends? When I look at this story in Mark chapter 1, I don't hear some softly and tenderly Jesus. Instead, I see the call of God upon the lives of four men. And the video scene that plays out in my mind calls them to change. It's not some quiet shift. They left their nets. Their lives were changed. Their families were changed. History tells us that all of them died martyrs' deaths. If you want a nice, quiet Christianity then go find a nice quiet room and sit there quietly by yourself and get the soft music playing and say, oh, isn't me and Jesus all nice? Fair enough. But friends, following Jesus is far more than that. It's a call to a radical life change. It's a call to get into an adventure, to get into a world-changing and history, a history-making adventure of ministry and care and personal change. It's not always quiet. But instead, many times it's loud and boisterous and risky and history-changing. Some of you might say, well, all right, Pastor, but it's just not for me. You don't know all the junk in my life. You don't know how... I've got so much shame about all the stuff that happened to me. Well, if you're ashamed and unwilling to follow Jesus' call to follow you, I want you to hear what a young preacher up in Clinton said last week, I went out and watched his sermon, Cody Monkman of Clinton First Christian. This is what he said. Shame may hold you back from following God, but be reminded, you are God's artistic expression of beauty so valuable that Jesus came from heaven to call you to follow him in all areas of life. Remember this, the one calling you to change, the one calling you to repentance, the one calling, that one keeps no record of wrongs through Jesus Christ. In other words, the call of God is for you. The call of God is for you to change and say, yes, Jesus Christ, how am I going to live my life differently this week as a result of my work within you? And I, I, I would suggest, don't stand on the sidelines any longer. Answer Jesus Christ's call for you to live differently, to live in a way that honors him and acknowledges God's grace of work within you. And there's something that happened... Um, up in Canada in the last 10 days or so that illustrates this in a way that's just quite remarkable. Maybe you're familiar with the story of the 42-year-old Zamboni driver from the Toronto Maple Leafs. Do you know this story? It's absolutely amazing. His name is David Ayers, and he's the manager of the home stadium of the the National Hockey League's uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. And last week, he was the e-bug 
for the stadium. So he works for the stadium. He's an employee, if you will, of the Toronto Maple Leafs. But the e-bug, the e-bug is the emergency backup goalie. And here's what the NHL says, that every, every game there has to be one person in the stands that either team can call and say, we need you to be the goalie. So here he is, works for the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's the e-bug. No one ever uses an e-bug except last week, the, um, the Hurricanes from Raleigh, North Carolina showed up in Toronto. Goalie number one got injured. He was out of the game. Goalie number two was in the crease. He got injured. And David Ayers is up in the stands and he gets a telephone call. We think you better get down here. Sure enough, he comes down. They announce that he's going to be, the Toronto Maple Leafs is going to play for the North Carolina, uh, Raleigh, North Carolina Hurricanes. So they don't, have a, a, they don't even have a, a, a um, jersey for him. They have to make a jersey. They delay the game. They, go, they get him out there and they begin to um, do some shots and he immediately gives up two goals. Oh, this is not going to go well. 42 years of age, but finally he loosened up, eventually began to block shots in the third period and won the game. You know what the Toronto Maple Leafs did? First of all, all the fans stood and gave him a great um, standing ovation. He's playing for the opposing team. He's just won the game. And then the Toronto Maple Leafs named him the player of the game. Fascinating. He gets a call. So the Hurricanes go on back to North Carolina. And they learn that this jersey that, he's made, that they made from number 90 that a lot of people wanted. They want to celebrate this guy. And the reason that he didn't, never played in the NHL, because at 28 years of age, he had a kidney transplant. So he played minor, minor, minor league all of his life. But at 42 years of age, he got the call. He went out, he played, he won the game. They've sold all these jerseys, these replica jerseys, and they've given all the money to the Kidney Foundation. How cool is this? You know how much money he made? They gave him 500 bucks for playing. <laughs> if you're the e-bug, you get $500 if you get called out on the ice. Now here's my understanding, friends. I'd call him the e-bug. The emergency backup call Lee. Can you imagine? You're up in the stands and your phone rings and they go, uh, uh, the second goalie has just had an injury and we don't think he's going to get back on the ice. Can you come down here please and put on a uniform? What? <laughs> what? Isn't that what you do? And you go down there and you would be nervous as all get out. You've been called. But friends, can I tell you? You are not the emergency backup call Lee. You and I are the called. The call of Jesus Christ has already gone out to us. Jesus Christ came. He called those guys on the beach 2,000 years ago. He's calling you to follow. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, today's the day you can start following. If you are a follower, then today's the day when your lifestyle and the way in which you live in the days ahead will reflect that calling in the name of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we are people, Lord, who need to know of your work in our lives. Lord, the uh, reality is that sometimes we kind of get focused in on ourselves and get focused on, on the, the nitty-gritty of our lives and we get so down in the weeds that we forget that um, you've called us to live lives that go beyond that. You've called us to lives of, um, that are sometimes loud and boisterous and full of risk and adventure. 
Yeah, there are moments where we need some quietness and there are moments, Lord, when we want to be quietly reflecting all that you're doing in us. But Lord, never, let us, um, I don't want to stay there. I want to step into all that you have for me, Lord. I want the people of this congregation to step into all that you have for them. Lord, I want those who don't know you, you want those who don't know you, to answer the call of Jesus Christ and uh, to hear his call, calling them to a new life, a new way of doing a relationship with you in a way that's powerful, in a way that, that impacts their marriage and their relationships and their vocation, their pocketbook, their outlook on life, and maybe sometimes, Lord, even our zip code. We realize, Lord, it's not all about us, but it's about following Jesus, your Son, and our Savior. Give us the courage, the ideas, and the, um, the way forward on that, starting as we walk from this building, as we walk from Lovington, as we walk from our homes this afternoon. In the name of Christ.